It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Can't wait question of the day. Sam Kane's injury status is hanging over the All Blacks like a dark cloud. Who is the All Blacks captain when they run out, Kempi? Who's your answer? Uh, look, I think we had him on the on the blower yesterday. I, I would go with Aaron Smith, and here's the reasons why. I think since Lahore, Fitzpatrick, um, you go to Buck Shelford, uh, even even to an extent Reuben Thorne and Tane Randall. You look at McCaw and Reid; those names all in a all in a in a mix. They all had resilience, and I just don't think Sam Kane has the resilience that's needed for an All Black captain. Um, not not because. He's he's not resilient. Is that he puts himself in positions where injuries taken the toll on him, and he's you don't know whether he's going to be uh, there or not. So I think you need someone who's resilient uh, across the board, who has the form, who's who's always the number one pick on your on your sheet. And I, and I think your halfback. Um, I don't think we've had a halfback since David Kirk in the World Cup as as a, a captain when Andy Dalton had to pull out. Um, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, Might, something in the back of my head telling me that maybe Aaron Smith even has. Take your point there. We'll come back to that, Kempe. Joe, you're in Gizzy, 0800-150-811. Who's it for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with our man Sam and uh, his backup man, Sam Whitelock. Listen, those guys have, uh, just to where we are now, they uh, fell to the black jersey. They've turned down money from overseas to stay. Right? And yeah, our man's getting injured at the moment. Sure. Work rate is there. When he came back on the All Black Tour last year after injury, his work rate was huge, even though we got turned over uh, up in the north. But uh, for me, I'll stick, I'll stick with him to start, and then through that Irish series, I'm, I mean, we go down to the Dunedin game, and I'll see them blooding people like Papali and, and those boys who will come through, you know, um, and pick those guys on form. But starting test, we, we, we run out our best 15, and, and for me, uh, we stay loyal to Sammy Kane. We stayed loyal to Cromfeld when he got, went through injuries. We stayed loyal to McCall when he went through injuries. So, uh, yeah, I'll stick in. I'll stick with our man, Sammy, mate. Yep, no, hear you loud and clear, Joe. Uh, you'll be on the same page as the All Black Selectors, I think. They don't ever punish people for injuries. Brett, you're in Huntley. Uh, good to Kōrero. What do you reckon, man? Yeah, I'm going to go with Uncle. I'm going to go with um, with Nucky, bro. He always starts. He's always a starter. Um, but... I go to every Chiefs game, and there's a lot of talk about people saying, uh, I'll wait till Brody Retallick gets back. But our 21-year-old locks have been our best players this year. Mm. And 
we've we've had problems in our loose forwards. Our loose forward trio as Peter Gus's had like good individual performances, but they do gave away four penalties on Saturday night, and we're just not consistent in that loose forward trio. And Sam's a, the biggest part of that that cog, and we've got good individual players there, but as a trio, it's just not working. And for Nuggy, there's heaps of deputies. You've got Bodie, you've got Cody Taylor, you've got Dane Coles, Artie, uh, Brady, Sam Whitelock, um, and just pump the brakes on people calling for Dalton to walk in and captain the ABs. It's like, I'll pump the brakes on that one. He'd be the first person to say, I'm not ready for that job. Yeah, he uh, loud and clear as well, Brett, and I think you're right. He would be the first person, but you make the really good point. Can be a, a captain has to be the first name on the team sheet. Oh, look, I, I always had this belief that the captain um, for the All Blacks was was selected before the team was selected, and then the team was given to the captain to say, are these the players that... No, not we, really. We, uh, well, I asked the question. I actually asked that of Izzy, because I'd, I'd heard otherwise that Richie McCall was part of the selection panel, um, and he's had a big say in who the players are that surround him on a football field. It sort of made sense to me. Aaron Smith, for me, man, he's the first name on the, on the team sheet. Like, and he has been for years. And I think if there's a question mark, it's a huge problem, unless they are a really proven captain at the end of their go. Uh, Sam Kane is not that. Look, this is nothing against Sam Kane. This is really a pragmatic question about what happens moving forward. 18 tests, everybody, until the World Cup. We at the moment are blessed, Tony, with... These young Kiwi sporting senders. Adrenaline junkies. I call them senders because that's what they are. On the world stage, uh, we've got them in snow sports, we've got them in motorsport, and especially this this kid. 15-year-old Southlander, good part of the world, Cormac Buchanan, he's joined uh, this list of young Kiwi senders, swapped Invercargill for Barcelona. He's on the phone line with us now as he is an aspiring MotoGP racer. He's over there competing in the Red Bull Rookies Cup. He's on the line. Cormac, how are you doing, mate? Good to have you on the show. Hi, mate. How are you going? Trying to keep a bit cool at the moment. Whereabouts are you in the world? Come on, paint us the picture. Give us your, your weather and track conditions. Well, basically at the moment we're just chilling out in um, Barcelona, getting ready to hit the road for Italy, but um, certainly not the coolest part in the world. It's 36 degrees over the weekend, so... A bit different to your normal Invercargill weather at the moment, and it's not even summer, so yeah. Mate, you'd have your you'd have your Red Bull budgie smugglers on when you get a suntan <laughs> out, out out there, Cormac. Hey, mate, tell me, do you when you jump on the the that vehicle and go a thousand miles an hour? What's the adrenaline rush like? Well, I mean, it's quite it's quite insane, you know. Like, it's, you'd be all nervous before the race and stuff, but then. When you're riding around, you don't really think about much. It's 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 really difficult to explain. It feels like everything's in slow motion, to be honest, which is quite weird considering you're going really, really fast around a track. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the adrenaline rushes, I guess, are quite uh, addicting in a way. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun road racing and going so fast around these tracks with, you know, 20 other young kids is uh, quite cool. So, so your dad used to ride. Did you used to ride, and, and that's how you got onto it with your dad. And, and does he still do it today with you? Um, not so much. Dad's more um, been put to the span. He's on a scooter. Moment. More of a mechanic. Yeah, well, yeah, he's more of the mechanic guy now. So, he's uh, my spanner man. But um, yeah, I mean, 
when Dad used to race, always wanted to give it a go. And for my, I think it was my 11th birthday, Mum and Dad, they saved up to buy me a little road bike, and it's really just kick-started from there. It's been um, four very short years to go from just, you know, riding around, you know, just in tennis courts and stuff to racing in the World Championship and stuff like this. That's exactly where I was going, Cormac. You're 15, so uh, what's that? Nearly a third of your life you've spent on a motorbike so far, which I'm sure is pretty spacey to hear out loud. But we're talking MotoGP. We're talking about those guys and girls that get their knees right on the track when they're going around those corners and, and it's the aerodynamics. Is that, that's the sport we're talking about, right? The ones on the – and they're kind of just flying out. I don't know how quick you're going. Yeah, 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 that's the sport. Sometimes you're lucky even if you get your elbow on the ground as well, you know. It's um, really nice, you know, you're going through a corner 100-odd mile an hour and with your elbow on the ground and, you know, your face millimetres from the concrete. So, yeah, it's quite it's quite crazy, eh? Yeah, man, it's, it's quite crazy. Quite <laughs> yeah, cra- yeah, I don't well think, think crazy is the right word for it. Um, but just just tell us, Cormac, what's your what's your goal, mate? So, fifteen, you know, cruising around Barcelona, and you know, what what are you on? A, you on someone's yacht at the moment, or something like that? You've got to be um, heading that way anyway. But does your future look like that, or diamonds and pearls? What, where, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Um, my main goal in five years' time is. Obviously, to still be racing road bikes over here, um, but mainly to be racing in the MotoGP World Championship. So that's like two times as fast as what I'm the bikes I'm on right now. Um, yeah, I think it's the fastest speed ever was 365 kilometres an hour. So yeah, very very fast and you know quite scary to think about. But you know it's the dream that I've been working towards for quite some time and really dedicated to it. So you know hopefully in a few years time we can make it happen. Well, you're dedicated to it, but I'll tell you who else is dedicated, your parents, mate, because it's no easy job to get a kid from Southland to Barcelona, I'll be certain of that, especially in, in the kind of COVID world, and we're coming out the other side of that, although I understand you got about of it and missed an event a wee while back. Um, what was it like, kind of the support you've had and the pathways to get from Southland to Europe? I think, you know, it's been quite amazing because, Obviously, New Zealand's only had a handful of, you know, road races go overseas. And I think the support that we've got just even from the small community in Southland has been, you know, amazing. Like, we've had people like the Burntman Road Challenge, um, Bed Post, New Zealand and Kiwi Classic Motor. They've all pitched in their little bit, you know, to help out. And, you know, they all want to see me succeed. So it's really nice to, you know, have to know that everyone's got my back. Yeah, that's amazing, mate, and that's, that's the best part of New Zealand when we rally behind people like yourself. Who do you aspire to when you look at those, um, you know, some of those famous names, Rossi and uh, Stoner throughout the years and in the MotoGP? I'm sure you've watched a bit of it. Who's your idol? I think, for me, my idol would probably be either Mel- Valentino Rossi or Mark Marquez, you know, growing up, watching those guys. And to be honest, you know, it feels quite surreal when you're actually racing at the same events as them. You know, you're just strolling through the paddock and you see them. You know, it's crazy. And even last season in Mugello, I had an injury. So I had to go to the medical centre. And the two people that were in the medical centre is actually Marquez and Rossi. So, you know, I gave them a little fist bump. And, yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite, you know, cool bumping into them, you know, bumping into two of your idols, eh? 
yeah, even in the medic tent. Hey, uh, talk to me about this this network of young Kiwi motorsport. We're actually just Kiwi motorsport at the moment. I'm sure you must be a fan of the four-wheeled stuff as well. So Liam Lawson, he's a Red Bull athlete, I'm pretty sure. Um, and we've kind of got a, a variety of them. There's a, there's a pretty cool network of Kiwi motorsport at the moment, isn't there, across all of the codes. We seem to be really flying high, and you must be pretty proud to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's awesome to see all the Kiwis coming over Europe and obviously it's a really, really big adventure, but um, I feel like, you know, New Zealand's getting a bit higher and higher on that, you know, global stage with motorsport and stuff every day. So it's good to see, you know, all these young Kiwis, you know, doing what they love and coming over here to try and, you know, show their potential. Oh, well said, mate. Congratulations, Cormac, and thanks for tuning into the show this morning. When's your, uh, you've you got a race or an event coming up very shortly and how do we follow along with you? Um, so basically, this weekend I'll be racing in Italy at the Italian Grand Prix in Mugello. So pretty much on Red Bull TV, you can watch the live stream for the races. Uh, the only problem is, is that they'll be at you know twelve one a.m. Not an issue. New Zealand time, but um, you know you can obviously see them on demand and stuff. But yeah, if you guys want to tune in, just go to RedBullTV.com and the race should be there. Beautiful stuff. All the best, mate. Stay on the bike, eh? Yeah, will do, mate. Awesome. Awesome, Cormac. Well done, mate. What a absolute charger. Unbelievable. 15. Oh, and you've got your face really close to the tarmac when you're going around the corner at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> it's like So nonchalant. Honestly, and how, how good was he at talking? How articulate was he when he was just 15? Getting it out as if he's done a thousand interviews before. Stand up, Southland. That is so cool. Anyone down there what in Invercargill or in Southland want to send your support to Cormac Buchanan? Double eight, double three uh, on the temper bed post, and it was great to hear bed post there supporting um, Cormac. Obviously, big supporters of motorsport. Send us a message, double eight, double three, and we'll make sure we'll pass it on to Cormac. I'd love that. I love seeing young Kiwis that are actually—he's not full of himself at all. He knows he's got ability and he, he has a goal, and, and that ambition—that's just so heartwarming, Kimpy. That must make you proud as a former New Zealand rep. Oh, 100%. When he's saying that at 15, um, yeah, this, he, he knows what he wants. That's, that's the message that came out. He knows in the next five years he wants to be up there with Rossi and the, and the likes and, and riding the big in the big boys um, game, you know what I mean? So, yeah, mate, with an attitude like that, he gets there for sure. So a bit of other motorsport news, and, and look, hey, nobody's knocking Cormac. There's, no, there's every chance with that sort of attitude he could be Scott Dixon of the future. So the Indianapolis 500 qualifying was on yesterday, Kempe, and seriously, Scott Dixon, don't ever think that he is ageing and losing it. He is on fire. He went so good yesterday. He had jaws on the ground, completed his four laps at an average of 376.660 kilometres around the speedway. So the, his average over those four laps bet Scott Brayton's pole-winning record set in 96, um, and it's his fifth pole position. He is, I think, only won one Indy 500 in 2008 or 2009, but he netted himself a $155,000 bonus from hitting pole, and, and this is the level we're talking about. Scott Dixon... Easy, and you know he does actually get he gets a lot of plaudits when it's Helberg season. But when we talk about Kiwi motorsport, and we talk about the Amons and the McLarens that have gone before us, and and now we're in this this kind of reborn golden era with Giz, McLaughlin, Dixon, Cormac, Liam Lawson. There are actually aspirational athletes like Scott Dixon mm. doing this that Cormac can kind of look towards and go, hey, that this is possible. But it's not easy, and I do commend his parents and everyone that's supported him. 
Oh, and I, I dare say it wouldn't be cheap either. You know what I mean? They, they must have some pretty good sponsorship behind them. Getting to Barcelona and travelling around, for instance, as a 15-year-old, uh, the parents would need quite a quite a bit of money there to, to make sure that it supports uh, what Cormac's trying to, trying to achieve. It would pay off in the long run, but to get there, it would be oh, pretty scary, I reckon, for some families. Bang on, Kimpy. Hey, there's a great text here from Mark on, well, it, great. There's a text here from Mark on double eight double three. I don't know if I agree with it, but that doesn't mean it's not great. Mark, we'll get to that on your taking the fun or putting the fun back into NRL after this. Congratulations to Cormac Buchanan again, and um, well done for getting on the phone and having a chat to us. Uh, here with Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day. We'll carry on the discussion about NRL, sports leagues, fun, and Gen Z after this. Oh, we know he's tough, and we know he's got all the shots, the spins, the distance control, the drive, but he didn't have many majors to show for it. Yesterday, Justin Thomas put it all together and put, My man. <laughs> and put out one of the grittiest and toughest performances at the PGA Tour. Jeff Shackelford is an outstanding golf journalist. He covers the sport he absolutely loves, and Jeff, as a purist, you must have been hanging on to every second of what JT put together to clinch the PGA Championship yesterday. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, it was bizarre. You kind of knew, though, there was a good chance it was going to get strange with so many rookies and first-timers and guys who haven't really contended in the mix. And so a lot of the big names, you had to wonder, uh, they just had to have very long flights home knowing that if they just hung around Saturday and gritted it out, uh, they had a chance on Sunday, and he was the one guy uh, who who pulled that off and uh, was the only guy under par in the last seven groups. And uh, it was just a uh, really an incredible performance. He, he worked so hard at it, and uh, to see it pay off, obviously very rewarding. And and uh, it was a, and just to have a great finish is is always what we kind of root for in golf, and we certainly got that. Well, Jeffy is heading towards it with uh, the way that he's been playing. How how often have we seen players at the top just capitulate? Were you surprised? Yeah, this week was bizarre um, because the golf course was so good. It rewarded so many different skills, and you saw that in the leaderboard. You saw some some plotters who make a lot of putts. You saw some bombers. Uh, you know, it would have been a great one for Cam Smith. Uh, there, there were a lot of people that could play this course. So, it's you know, you, we've seen that before where it's one of those one-dimensional things and it kind of takes a driver out of their hand. And a lot of good players, you know, from going back to, well, the history of the game, but, you know, Greg Norman, uh, even in the modern times, uh, where when you take the driver away, that kind of takes their mojo. And that didn't happen this week. And so, yeah, it was kind of stunning how, how Rory got off to a great start and, and Colin Morikawa should have been a great course for him. And uh, yeah, everybody was sort of perplexed <laughs> at what we were watching <laughs> and the weather was tough, but geez, they, they face, uh, they face tough weather all the time. Yeah. It was great to see those par threes really get their back up and fight back. I thought that was, it was awesome, Jeff. Um, you know, week in, week out on the tour, you see, uh, times where you where you see players that maybe go out early on a Sunday and they say, well, if I can just get to this score, you never really know. And often it comes to nothing. But JT missing that birdie putt and finishing where he did, did anybody, and was it realistic that Mito Pereira would blow up like he did on the 18th? And that swing, you just feel sorry for the guy, don't you? Oh, sure, it's realistic. I mean, the pressure's in- incredible and it was definitely the day usually in those four days of a tournament you you just have one where it's it's not 
uh, all there. It's rare that for four days somebody's just great every day. And he was incredible the first two rounds. He was good Saturday. And it was bound to happen. And and the pressure's intense and the, and the crowds are huge. And he's never been in anything like that before. So uh, it, it's going to happen. People rush. They get they get nervous. And, and he, you know, bless his heart, he told us <laughs> this is two majors in a row now. We've had the player uh, admit one won, one didn't. Uh, that's that that Sunday morning they were a, they were a train wreck they were a mess and uh, you know for writers uh, it take 25 years and you know uh, uh, some divorce proceedings to find out uh, that the that the guy was a <laughs> was a total basket case uh, so to have these players admit that was really uh, lovely and he he handled it so beautifully after you know Rory Rory left and and Rory's great with the media but he stormed off and. Um, and uh, Mito hung around and, and was uh, beautifully honest and, and good for him. So, um, no, not a huge shock, though, that it, it kind of uh, fell apart at the end, given, given the way the day had gone for him. He was kind of holding it together. Yeah, like every good race, it always comes down to that last 10, 10 metres, that, that, that end where, you know, your form starts to fall away and it's who can keep it. Um, going the best and Justin Thomas seemed to do that for me the, the, the day two of Justin Thomas where he went out in the morning uh, in those conditions and held it all together I read that um, and I'd sort of done a little bit of form on Justin Thomas and just thought man if he can hold it together there imagine if the weather does fine up and and you've got you know the wrong players at the top he might be in with a shot is that, is that how you saw it? Well, actually, when he finished his round, I thought he'd be the leader uh, at the end of the day. But then the wind died down in the afternoon and, and the greens were not cut as a precaution and they just lit it up in the afternoon. But I went out and watched that um, the end of that round and it was blowing so hard and it was a difficult wind. And he was absolutely dialed in so precise. And he was playing with Patrick Cantlay and Dustin Johnson. They looked like a couple of five handicaps. They were lost and they were, you know, they were kind of. Uh, out of it, they knew they were going to miss a cut, but still, the, the 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 difference between watching where Justin was and how focused he was, and how precise he was with his irons in that wind, and I, I mean, I could, I'll just never forget watching him play that brutal sixth hole, and and how he kind of owned the moment, and then you know, Cantlay and Johnson get up there, and they're just they're just not not all there, and there's there's two great players who don't usually uh, tank it that badly, so. Um, yeah, but he got the worst end of the draw. Uh, he had a ton of things go his way, which is what makes the win that much more impressive. Golf riders have been busy over the last wee while, Jeff. You haven't had a lack of storylines to uh, write on, have you? And it was good to see golf, um, the actual play of Justin Thomas, be the story at the end of the PGA Championship. The US Open's really not that far away at all. Who now looks like they could bounce out of this and find some momentum over these next few weeks? It was it was disappointing to see Rory not finish strong after we, what he did at the Masters. Can he get it together? Is there someone you have in mind that you want to watch over the next couple of weeks into the US Open? You know, I really don't have anybody in particular yet because I, I'm kind of curious to, to dive into the golf course a little bit more. It's a, it's a very different course than the one we just saw. It's a northeast uh, cool season grasses and and I guess the defining trade of the country club. It's just very hard for us when when we haven't been there in so long. But uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, who contended yesterday um, and played really quite nicely and isn't a super long hitter, he won the U.S. Amateur at the Country Club, and it's a place known for 
being very quirky, a lot of blind shots, uneven stances, and it's not the kind of golf that a lot of today's pros generally embrace. So I'm kind of looking to see who's going to get there early. You know, Southern Hills guys actually went early again. That used to be something they did, and then they stopped, and and uh, Justin Thomas was one of those people who did that, and I think that scouting trip was a difference. So <laughs> they're like a herd. They'll all they'll all think about that, and you watch. A lot of them will turn up at the country club, and I, I you just kind of have to watch what they say because, uh, like I said, it's a course that um, it's 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 just not a love at first sight thing. But as you play it, uh, you get to like it. But uh, a lot of these players expect it to be pleasing to the eye uh, the first time they set foot on the property and that's just not how golf works and then the one after it the old course definitely doesn't work that way <laughs> it takes a lot of practice to get used to the uh, awkwardness of it but it's brilliant yeah no that's exactly right jeff and it's so good to see uh the patrons back on on these courses and, and fans enjoying it it just adds a completely different dynamic all right you're the host of uh the jeff shackford.com uh author of the quadrat uh, quadrilateral it's a mouthful and people can find your work at Jeff Shack that's right so go check out Jeff Shackleford it's been a pleasure to catch up today man all right thank you guys appreciate the time there you go Jeff Shackleford very sharp golf mind and he's right these different venues add something completely different and that's why you can get little bits of anything depending on who the player and what form stacks up at each event here is Mito Pereira talking about what happened on the 18th I think this is cool. I think this is cool that he fronted media and, as Jeff Shackelford said there, Kempe didn't run away. He explained what he, well, that he was a ball of nerves in the morning and then explained what happened to him on the 18th tee. I mean, I, I was okay, yeah. I just, it was so weird. I mean, you see it's uh, not a good swing, but um, I just was, wasn't thinking about the, the water. Uh, it's weird that I just hit in the water. I told my car, like, it's weird that I went in. But uh, I guess it's, you have so much pressure in your body that you maybe you don't even know what you're doing. So that's him watching a replay back of his swing on the 18th saying that he didn't feel weird. He wasn't worried about the water. And then as he saw the swing on the replay, he went, yeah, see, it's a weird swing. He had a massive hitch in it. His knee broke down. It looked like you. <laughs> what, have you seen me on a golf course? I imagine you would have looked like Mito Pereira. I would have nailed that. I would have nailed that with all that pressure that he was under. Mate, it was a pressure. It was a pressure that, like, you know, Jeff was saying, never been in that position before. Uh, coming home, you know, three shots in front of everyone. It looked like he was just going to nail it on the day. Weather was fine. And then all of a sudden, you're going down probably the ninth hole going, actually, I'm, I'm probably going to win this. And then the nerves start to kick in. <laughs> they did, big time. JT won, so did we. Busy morning on the text traffic on the Temper Bear Post text machine. Mate, crazy out there. Everyone's up and got an opinion on, on who should be the captain and the coach. Morning, boys. I'm sure the AB's coaches will pick the right person to lead into the World Cup. I don't think it matters if they're big-minute players or not. All positions are high collision, and anyone could get injured from the very first minute. So as long as a player selected lead have the respect of their teammates then there's no problem. That's from Mark. Yeah, so this goes back to one of the first things that happened this morning, Kempe. The can't wait question of the day regarding Sam Kane. You can go and catch all of our first hour on the podcast channel, Izzy and Kempe, for breakfast. Sam Kane's out from under this current injury cloud, but I was curious to know who do we think the captain's going to be. And, man, we've had about 13 different names thrown around. Here's one for you. Why not just give it to the Barrett boys? 
So whenever there's a Barrett out there, the captain. Just Barrett. Scotty Barrett, Bowden Barrett, and my man. Smiley Barrett. Geordie Barrett. Oh. <laughs> Smiley be happy about that, though. Well, in all seriousness, we've had somebody genuinely suggest Geordie Barrett. We have had somebody genuinely suggest Bowden Barrett, which if Bowden Barrett gets a starting job, you know he's going to be on the field for a long time. Um, and Scott Barrett has obviously captained the Crusaders. Here is one. Whitelock, Coles, Kane aren't the best in their positions any longer. It's not a half bad point. You haven't left your name, though. I don't really know how to decide what we're going to go with here, Kempe, and, and there have been so many options. The only thing I could think about doing was dialing in the host of the show and 66 Test All Black, Israel Dag, live from his second home, the Koru Lounge. Morning, Izzy. Morning, boys. I'm just walking out to my plane. What's happening? Who's <laughs> Izzy, we're stuck in a bind. Who's captaining the All Blacks against Ireland? Who's captaining the All Blacks against Ireland? You know what? I wouldn't have a clue, mate. Who's coaching them? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's one for you. Here's one for you. Izzy, left field, mate. We think it's a Barrett. So we think we should name three captains. <laughs> and as long oh, as they got the surname Barrett, they'll be on the football field. Yeah, but you wouldn't be too far off. Look, um, obviously Sam Kane's got, got an injury. I'd, I'd say if, if he was available, he'll be there. But he'd be injured. So at the moment, yeah, you're thinking one of the Barretts. I don't know if I, would they go back. Bowden Barrett, Tanu Mung was probably the last one that um, that was the that was the car, uh, captain and. And player out on the back line, so you probably think him, he'd be front running, or, or Scooter Barrett. Yeah, Scooter. Hey, I appreciate you taking and risking the health and safety of everybody on the way to Whangarei this morning. I can hear the propeller in the background, which makes me worried. You, <laughs> you, you go board that plane. You haven't actually helped us solve the problem, but thanks for dialing in. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry about that, lads. I feel stressed out here. Everyone's looking at me like an idiot. Then <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be right. I have no idea why. <laughs> Is he caught out tomorrow, right? See ya. <laughs> See you later, boys. <laughs> Izzy's on his way to Whangarei. He's trying to help us, but he hasn't actually. He's actually complicated things more. Uh, bad things happen when Sam Kane doesn't play. Ireland twice and England in the semi. That is from an unnamed texter. Take your point. All the way from Aussie. Hey, is Sam Barrett a uh, Scott Barrett? Jeez, is Sam Kane in? A position to play though And he's out from under this injury cloud But his body, he just needs minutes And that's what Tim said in the first hour It's unfair to kind of load these minutes on him Artie Savia leads by example every game That's from Richie Gig makes the point Whoever they pick need to stick with them to the World Cup And Kempi, this is exactly why This is such a serious conversation Because there's only 18 tests to go And we know that they want to keep their consistent They want to be consistent in selection So the captaincy is your first place you start Yeah, look, I, and I personally, Louis I think they're going to make a announcement Around the captaincy And it's going to be more than one Yeah, you've said it a couple of times today, and I think you could be on the right track. Mark, here's one from Ricardo Bull before we finish up here. Boys, I think you need a guaranteed starter who will play most of the minutes. I think Sam Whitelock is a safe pair of hands with Bowden and Artie as VCs. Uh, Ricardo, how dare you be so sensible and logical? How dare you? That makes perfect sense to me. I think Sam Whitelock is the most likely, but whether that means I'll go that way, it's a different story completely. Let's park that. We can come back to it if we need to. Paul Mawadi not far away this hour as well. But Rugby League, it is Kempe's sport of choice. 
and Jason Nightingale. Well, he's a legendary Kiwi and former St George Illawarra player. Let's catch up with Jason Nightingale. ECNZ. Over the weekend, we saw the Warriors and the Dragons duke out a tight one in the wet, and it was St George who came out on top. And that'll make our man who's on the phone right now, Jason Nightingale, very happy as he's an ex, ex-Dragon. Um, played over 260 yeah. times and, and plenty of games for the Kiwis well, well over 30. Jeez, just a couple more than me. He's going all right. Uh, he's with us now out of Australia. Morning, Jace. Good morning. How you going, Kippy? Yeah, you're good, mate. You obviously you watched the game on the weekend. You must have been happy that, happy that the Dragons got up. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I was at the game. Um, took my son and I had a, my auntie, auntie and uncle over from Auckland as well. They, they dropped in. So um, I think they were secretly going for the Warriors, but that's all good that happens. But um, no, it wasn't the, it wasn't the most attractive uh, game of footy, but one of those ones where the, the old uh, cliche of, uh, yeah, it's, it's just good to get the win um, rings true. And, and what'd, you, what'd you take of the game? And I thought the fullback, was it Cody uh, Ramsey played pretty well? Come off the wings yeah. into that fullback position. Jeezy showed some pace a couple of times out there in the edges. What were your thoughts? Yeah, it did. Looked like a young Israel Dag actually. Um, watching him out there and hair and all. And uh, no, it was it was it was pretty cool to see how electric he was. Um, and he is. Uh, we know that we've seen that Cody's been our system for a few years now, um, and we do know what he's capable of. And uh, yeah, he's one of those guys that throws his body and his his, his small frame at everything. And um, yeah, it was good to see a lot of those things come off for him on the weekend. So, um, yeah, he, he's got a great attitude, a great approach to footy, and yeah, he's very much no holds barred and just just attacks everything. And for him to sort of shine in that in that situation on the weekend, it was good under those sort of conditions. Oh, mate, appreciate you coming on the show, Jace, mate. Um, he's way faster than I ever was, I'll tell you that, mate. But uh, on the other side of it, the Warriors, uh, you know, that's the biggest talking point every week for us over here in NZ. We're just wondering what's going on and uh, obviously the situation with Matt Lodge uh, leaving, you know, a day before the game. They're up in in a bit of disarray at the moment, mate. What's your take on the Warriors? Yeah, they've had a tough couple of years. I think, you know, any time you get up and leave your home country and live somewhere for two years, it's going to take its toll. But um, I don't think they use those as excuses. Um, You know, it's probably got a, you know, if, if Lodge is got up and got his, I'm sure it's for an opportunity, I'm sure. Um, so, he, you know, at his age, probably can't blame him for that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, that just goes to show that, that how challenging it is. You know, a lot of people over there, you know, a couple of years, everyone that's had a, been, only been at the Warriors for two years, they've been, never lived in New Zealand. And then it goes, anyone that, you know, from the New Zealand side, which is the majority, haven't been home in two years. So, um, yeah, it's challenging, but uh, they're, they're tough. They hang in there and, and you know, they weren't, weren't too far off on the weekend and uh, they're up against mm-hmm. it. But I think it's more just, it's hard to uh, hard to watch as, you know, Kiwi, but um, having to, you know, be understand where, where they sit is probably the hardest thing that, that uh, no offence, but Aucklanders find the hardest thing to do with, with most of their rugby rugby league teams is, mm-hmm. is sort of... Um, is understand where the where the other side's coming from, and um, yeah, they turn up and have a crack. I suppose they're not they're not they're not packing it in, um, and uh, I think there is still some potential to come. You, you know, you look at um, the likes of Reese Walsh and the way he approaches the game, and, and some of their forwards are uh, yeah having a crack every week. So it is tough for them, um, but you know, we're, we're, so the Dragons are probably not in that much better boat or anything like that at the moment.
Yeah. yeah. Well said, Jace. Hey, and talk, talking about Kiwis stepping up and having a crack, you're coming home for the test match against yeah. the Tongans, which has uh, rolled through the, the Origin weekend. You must be looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm pumped to bring my kids back. Um, my wife's, uh, we're having our third kid. She's too pregnant to travel, but I haven't been home in two years. So, um, yeah, using it is a pretty good excuse. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll work from over there and then spend some time with my, with my sister and my dad and my grandparents and uh, all the family back over there. So I'm, I'm pumped, excited to go for that. And uh, what better what better excuse to go back than, than international footy coming back? Hey, Jace, can I ask you, I just want to just quickly delve into life after footy. Um, I think you've transitioned extremely well. And, you know, so are you able to tell us what you're doing now and how you're able to transition from life on the footy field to off the field? Yeah, I started very early um, sort of thinking about it. I was at uni um, studying business and uh, then dropped out to start a business and the business was teaching business. That's all very, a lot of business being said in that. But um, what, what, what we set up for is to you know, sort of help learn the fundamentals of, of the outside world and connect with people. I think that's probably my biggest strength and the biggest um, the biggest thing you have as, a, as an athlete is the opportunity to meet all these people um, and, and how you use that and how you learn from them is the way you set yourself up. So that then retired into, started a cafe where we retired um, our education is still, still, still going, um, help out in NRL transition a little bit. So there's a big big support for, for players uh, in Australia and New Zealand and, and even the UK Super League that, that um, are transitioning out of the NRL, even if it's back to Super League. or um, Yeah, so we have programs set up in place for that. Um, and then, yeah, I have two hospitality businesses that I don't, I'm not super hands-on. I just hang out and drink coffees, which is, you know, the old reason why Kempi's area used to buy pubs to sit there and, and have a few beers and new age footballers buy cafes to sit and drink coffee. So, um, yeah, mate, that's, that's pretty cool. And then I have, a, I also have a full-time job in, in uh, technology payments company. Wow, mate. You're, you're ticking all the boxes. Uh, are you getting a lot of traction and, and when you're, you know, and, and amongst the clubs, are you getting a lot of the players? I remember when I was playing, like there was a window for professional development, but a lot of us kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. away from it. So are, are you feeling yeah. that at this day and age, you know, our players are really taking onto it? Yeah, we had that. We're back when we started the business, the rugby, it was only rugby union that had that window, um, study window, whereas uh, in Australia it was, it was, they don't have a window, it's just all, all year round and they even had um, the under-20s is probably the biggest transition because it made a lot of people um, sort of uh, put up in lights that, that you know only 4% of under-20s players are making it. So the forcing to, to study or play, uh, sorry, study or work, um, created a good pathway. And then we're in every sport in Australia over here. We're, in, we're, we're probably bigger outside of rugby league than we, than we are in, in rugby league at the moment, but it started from those roots that NRL is always very supportive of their education programs. And, um, yeah, we've done a lot with super rugby teams as well um, and, and across soccer. I think it's, it's just the support of the game as a whole, but then also the, the players' associations that sit below that is what, what uh, allows people to make sure we have their flexibility. And then, and then it's companies like ourselves that, that can support the flexibility and understand that it's never going to be priority number one while you play sport. Hey, Nighty, just before we let you go, you've got also um, Benji's testimonial coming up, mate, and you're, you know, he's chosen you as the as the speaker from, I guess, um, the Kiwis and the New Zealand Māoris to, to, to speak at his testimonial. Must be excited about that. 
Yeah, super excited. Um, still very close to Benj. Um, we, we share a special connection, obviously, playing Kiwis together. Um, myself, Tyson, and uh, and him still very close from our days at the Dragons as well. So, yeah, it's pre- pretty privileged um, to be part of that. Um, uh, it'd be great to catch up with, with friends and, and other people. And, uh, yeah, I suppose probably the, the main goal is to put crap on him and uh, and and hopefully uh, have a bit of fun and, and make sure everyone else does as well. So, well he just relives his his glory days for the for the hundredth time. <laughs> just time, mate. Well, here's the question: Is he going to win Celebrity Apprentice or what? Oh, mate, I don't know. I, I think uh, with, with some with some deep pocketed with some deep pocketed funders, I think he'll go all right. Um, yeah, he. he it was funny. He called me during one of his one of his things he was doing, and I didn't call him back. And he's like, "Oh, sorry, I needed you right then and there." I went, well, mate, I can't just drop everything to to go and do whatever it is you're doing out in the in the city or wherever you were. Um, but yeah, no, he he'll go well at that. He's um he's you know he's he's crafty and 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 personable. I suppose that's the biggest thing when you're looking at um, crossover skills. Benji is, is a genuinely good person who who um, gives time to people and builds strong relationships. And that's really, you know, what that, that apprentice, uh, celebrity apprentice is, is obviously, a, you know, over-accentuated one of those, but, but people that have those attributes in them are the ones that do well, and I'm sure he'll do well because of that. No spoiler alert, I know nothing. I'm sure he's under some sort of, you know, plenty of uh, lawyers watching, out, watching over that. But, um, yeah, no, it'd be good to see yeah, the king of Sydney. Now, nah, dead right. I remember, mate, you heading down that sideline 2010. Brisbane threw that ball back inside to your best mate, Benji, and got us home with Feeney goes over. And that 2010 Four Nations Grand Final. Um, nice to have you on the line with us today, Nighty. Looking forward to you coming home, mate, supporting your Kiwis. Um, and, yeah, mate, you're doing some wonderful work in there, uh, especially with our, our footballers and, and our sports people that need something else after football. Uh, go, go well, mate, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Kempi. We'll catch up when I'm over there. Well, that was great catching up with Naughty. That was the interview we did yesterday um, because of the, the time difference, obviously, with Australian. Naughty on his way to work. We had the blinkers going there a few times. I'll tell you one one thing about Naughty is that the guy has his head screwed on. And the conversation this morning about keeping the game, uh, I, I guess, full of, full of excitement and less boring... Have a listen to what he had to say. I think he named five active roles currently, uh, one in his cafe, two other businesses that he doesn't have an active role and currently working full-time in the, in the, uh, in the um, what was it, the sector? Tech, tech, tech sector. sector. And then he's got this program that he runs through uh, Afterlife for, for sports people and heavily involved in most sports throughout Australia. So, you know, good to good to talk tonight and catch up with him. Uh, he's coming home. He's a proud Kiwi. I know that he's got that Aussie twang. He's been over there for donkey's <laughs> years, and like like a lot of Kiwi boys that go over there, they tend to pick that that uh, that twang up. But mate knows where his roots lie, and I'll never forget that night. Like like I said, right at the end in 2010, when the game was wrapped up, Aussie thought they had it wrapped up, and he got that ball on a short side play from Benji uh, to get that ball back inside to Nathan Fiend to win the game. That last 90 seconds was something outstanding. So good to good to relive a couple of those yesterday with Nighty, and and just a fantastic bloke. Oh, real cool dude, and he he's, the way he gives his mates uh, a bit of ribbing and Benji there, and then reminisces. And you must be so proud that the Kiwis are coming home, Kempi. We've got a lot to wind into that. Very very exciting to have them back on home turf. Here's one from Phil on double eight double three. Kempe, you're right. Jason Nightingale's a top bloke. Met him 
one evening at the Woodstock Hotel, just out of hockey ticker. Li- living- no lattes there, naughty. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Living in Rosette at the time, his cousin Kay married a friend of mine you may know. Uh, he's an, uh, another GC. Thanks. French Stewart, ex-Kiwi. Good oh, front right. row. Yeah. Good front row. Yeah, Brent Stewart. Uh, Phil, Phil, awesome. The great connections there to the coast and awesome you enjoyed hearing from Jace. Jace needs to get back over here sounding too much like uh. an Aussie, says Goose. <laughs> I agree. He's coming home. Don't worry. He's coming home, Goose. Thanks for your messages on double eight double three. Izzy, Dag, texting from the propeller plane. Naughty, put your phone away. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.